We are in a series on the Holy Spirit, and as uh, we said earlier, um, brief intro week one on uh, the God of the Bible does reveal himself as uh, three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so this semester, we are going to focus on the Holy Spirit. And last week, we were out at Bigfoot. Um, thank you for all of you who joined us. That was just a delightful time um, and hanging out and eating. And uh, Steve preached about uh, the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. And uh, understandably, each of these um, themes or topics we'll be addressing, as well as the fruits of the Spirit throughout this semester, much can be said about each one. So in many ways, uh, this is overview in, in, in some parts, and uh, much is left unsaid as well, and you guys are very faithful at reminding us of that every week, so we appreciate that. Um, a question to start out uh, this morning, just to kind of put us in the space of some of the things we'll look at. When was the last time you undeniably saw the Spirit of God at work in or around you? And the in or around you would be, uh, in would be internally, right? So the, the work of, of God and the Spirit of God in us, um, with our, you know, any part of us as a person. And then around you, of course, uh, implying externally uh, around you, things that happen in life, outside of yourself, your family, circumstances, situations. When was the last time you undeniably saw the Spirit of God at work in one of those ways. And this will, will help us this morning as we think about um, where we're headed. Uh, as Steve said over the last couple of weeks, it's really impossible for any of us to fully and completely understand or figure out uh, the Trinitarian God. Uh, whenever we're attempting to talk about the Trinity, we're, we are uh, trying to be theologically accurate, but we're really walking on thin ice theologically. Um, you can pretty much guarantee anytime you try to articulate the Trinity, you're going to become a heretic, okay? Because it's very difficult to do accurately. And so as a church, uh, as a denomination, um, as your pastors, we affirm the Athanasian Creed. If you've never heard of Athanasius, uh, he was one of the church fathers, and he did uh, construct a creed that's all about uh, the Trinity, and it's, it's incredibly astute and accurate and long, so you can look that up. I'm here this morning to tell you we affirm that in all its parts, and we affirm the historical orthodox uh, position of the church in regards to who the God of the Bible is. And so uh, we appreciate the grace you give to us. Um, if you, know, you guys, many of you have taught a class or been in a conversation, and, and when you preach or teach on um, topics such as this, you do misstep occasionally, and, um, and we do uh, genuinely appreciate uh, correction and feedback, and so we'll do our best to kind of stay there. Also, uh, some, this is all caveat kind of stuff at the beginning, uh, many of us, we have our preferences, don't we? Do you guys prefer anything? Uh, you have an opinion on a thing or two? Uh, we have our preferences. We have um, kind of our comfort zone of where we grew up and how we were taught, and that may or may not align with Scripture and with who God is in the expression of the Trinity. And um, as Presbyterians, many times the, the area of Holy Spirit and that realm, um, especially for a little older, um, we've, we become pretty skeptical about that. And we, uh, for good reason, 
but we do not want to close ourselves off to what God has for us, in us, around us, in the working of his spirit, um, as long as that is rooted in who Christ is and scripture. So that being said, um, I don't think many of us probably need a whole lot more as adults, um, just information, some of us do, but knowledge about the Trinity. I think where we, our need is, is with the experiential presence of God, both internal and external. And if you're anything like me, you just do not like situations where you're not in control, right? We just, that's the human default setting. We do not like to be out of control in the sense of I'm not calling the shots. I'm not determining everything. Uh, If we don't have the resources and the plan and an exit strategy, we don't like that. As people, we don't, that is not a place we voluntarily put ourselves in many times. And I would ask you to consider this, um, along with the question that's, that's up, if we never take risks, if you never take a risk and you never get uncomfortable, how do you know whether the Spirit's at work or not? This is a question for myself. So if if I never put myself out there, could be something as um, just a one-on-one relationship, asking forgiveness. I play racquetball, I'm not very good. And um, I got one strategy in racquetball is if someone's playing well against you, you hit them with the ball. And if you've ever been, um, if you've ever been hit with a 140 mile an hour uh, racquetball, um, it's a good time. Come on out. I'll, I'll help you. Um, and I was playing one of my friends, and I was uh, doing okay, doing pretty well, and he was getting a little nervous. So one strategy is to hit the person you're playing and to try to get in their head. So he hit me dead center of my back, and um, I just walked out. I walked out of the court and said, I'm not, that's not what I'm playing. And, uh, you know, there's 15 guys there, and they're all like, it didn't look real good for me. It was kind of a punk move, and his was a punk move, and mine was a punk move, and here goes the egos, right? <laughs> you know, and I just quietly hit me. I just walked out quietly, just smooth. And then he said, what's your problem? And I said, that, that was on purpose. He goes, no, it wasn't. So here we go, right? Two, here goes. Testosterone, guys, you know. And it, it just, the whole vibe in the courts, what happens? Everyone's there playing. What happens to the whole vibe? It shifts, right? It's not good. So now people are on edge and no one knows what to do. And, um, you know, we like to be in control. We like to, and I thought, man, and so this prompting, you know, take, okay, how can I follow Jesus in this moment, Right? And so when there was a chance and he was on the court after a game, I went out there and I apologized for my response. I didn't just, I just said, hey, it was, and it, in about a 30 second brief conversation, you know, it kind of righted itself. Um, But the human default is like, no way. It's no way. And when we don't get in, that's a risky thing to do. It's very uncomfortable. And to, you're essentially lowering yourself. I did not kneel in front of, but your posture is like, hey, I I need to say something. It is a bowing, isn't it? And I'm not bowing to that guy who hit me. Um, 
I'm bowing, if I'm under the authority of Christ, he says, this is how we live. We humble ourselves. This is the way of the cross. So it can be in something as silly and simple as a racquetball incident. And then it can be in massive things in our lives, in our families, in our relationships. Jesus told his disciples in Mark 13, whenever you're arrested, not if, when you are arrested and brought to trial, don't worry ahead of time what to say. Just say whatever's given to you at the time, for it won't be you speaking, it's going to be the Holy Spirit. Talk about risk and uncomfortable in prison, arrested, brought to trial, beat, physical beatings on the line, life on the line. Don't worry about it. The Holy Spirit will give you exactly what you need, when you need it, and he's going to be with you in that moment. The Spirit provides that kind of assistance to us, and that's what we're going to look at today. Pray with me. Father, we are grateful for um, so many things that you do in our lives. We acknowledge your authority over us. And Lord, as we look at um, Jesus and the role of the Holy Spirit in his life and your gift of the Spirit to us, we pray that we would more and more become people who submit ultimately to you. And as a result, we walk out life in a different way than is really our default setting. Um, Lord, speak to us through your scripture and through uh, these words this morning as they're in submission to you in Christ's name. Amen. So one of the primary roles of the Holy Spirit, if not the primary role, is to point to Jesus. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He points to Jesus as Jesus glorifies the Father, and in turn, the Father glorifies the Son, and the Trinity coordinates and works together. John the Baptist, if you read Scripture carefully... Uh, this is a, a, about John the Baptist, who is, a, we suspect, a cousin of Jesus. And in the announcement of his birth, the angel of the Lord tells uh, his parents, he, John, will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. I don't know if, you, you know, this, I think I've read this many, many times, but it just stuck with me new this week. Oh, uh, John is filled with the Spirit even before his birth. And Steve, when he talked about the Old Testament, the Spirit coming upon people, the Spirit arrives and departs. The Spirit is very active and interactive, but nothing like this coming upon someone before they're even born. And in John, uh, we see as when John the Baptist grows up in the Gospel of John, we see John functioning in step with the Spirit in places like this out of John 1. Uh, when John saw Jesus coming, he says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John's primary role was to point to Jesus. He baptized with water for repentance, but then he pointed to Jesus. Always, every time he, he was directing his disciples toward Jesus. That's who you follow. Uh, he also said this great line, um, he, meaning Jesus, must become greater, I must become less. He becomes greater, I become less. This is how the Holy Spirit works as well. Uh, the, the action of the Holy Spirit is to glorify Christ, make him bigger, and to become less in the sense of that support, that connection, that coordination. 
John the baptizer's primary role was the same as the spirit. We get to Jesus and his story and just briefly touch here, much could be said. Matthew writes, Joseph, son of David, uh, and this is the the angel speaking to, to Joseph, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. So John is filled with the Holy Spirit before his birth and Jesus is actually conceived of the Holy Spirit. And this is a confession of the church. This is part of our anchoring of, and there's many, many reasons that um, the conception of Jesus by the Holy Spirit is so key and important. We will not be addressing those this morning, but uh, maybe down the road in a class. Uh, And in John 1, so, so here's three things right here. Jesus is conceived of the Spirit, so that's a big deal. He is, as we affirm, fully divine, fully human. So you have that conception that's it's full divinity and also fully human. John uh, gave this testimony, and this is John the Baptist. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. So uh, just a piece, we have Jesus is conceived by the Spirit, and we have Jesus, the Spirit in his baptism comes upon him for his ministry and work. Uh, There is a, a kind of a strain out there that said, oh, he becomes God at, his divinity is imparted at his baptism. We do not hold that. If you hold that, um, you know, that's, that's a heretical position. But uh, he has the Spirit his whole life. And then when his ministry begins, the Spirit visibly comes upon him. And it's, they're going to move in tandem in a way. What comes right after his baptism is what? The temptation in the wilderness. So it kicks, I mean, it goes right into the battle between the Satan and Jesus and all that will unfold. So he's conceived by the Spirit. The Spirit comes upon him and remains on him. And then later, post-resurrection, Jesus says to his disciples, peace be with you. As the Father sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them. It's a very important biblical theme right there. And said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. So Jesus is conceived by the Spirit. The Spirit comes upon him and remains on him. And then post-resurrection, Jesus now imparts or gives the Spirit to his disciples. We all together so far? Uh, Jesus, fully divine God, fully human dirt. You and I are creatures made of dust, right, and dirt, and you will return to that. A sobering thought. That's why Good Friday is my favorite service of the year. Um, you are from the material stuff of the earth, and you will return to it. And for those of us who profess Christ, God will breathe spirit into us and make us alive so that we can be like Christ, having both that element of who God is and the human. The di- big difference is Jesus was the perfect combo, right? He was perfectly in his humanity he is what humans were purposed to be all along he's the most connected and whole and healthy human to ever exist 
hell, healthy, hell, health, healthy? He's whole, healthy, connected. He's not fragmented in any way. Our default, right? We, our sin, just look at your windshield if you live in Colorado and drive for about more than seven minutes. Um, the cracks and chips and fractures in your windshield, that's humanity. And they don't go away. They just spread. They get worse. The weather makes them worse, different things. That's us. Our default is fractured, fragmented, broken. Jesus was perfectly aligned, perfectly integrated. He never lived a moment independent from the Father and the Spirit. Can you imagine a life where you have never made a decision, done any action, said anything that was not disconnected from the Father and the Spirit? That is the synchronization that's going on with Jesus and the role of the Spirit. I want to teach you some Greek this morning. Say parakletos. Very nice. That's it. Left to right. Parakletos. Um, and then kind of an English transliteration there. Um, this is the word. We're going, to we're going to hover here and end here. This is a word John really, really likes. And I really, really like John. Uh, the gospel writer, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, as well as the gospel of John, the disciple John, he really likes this word. Paul uses this word a lot as well in uh, Romans and some other places. Uh, it's from passages like this. Go back. Um, John 16, 7, Jesus says, but very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate and that's parakletos, will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. Okay? So Jesus is telling his disciples, look, uh, unless I go away, this sort of culmination and fulfillment of promise that the, the other paraclete cannot come to you. So it's actually better that I go away so that this can happen. And that is a profound thing for Jesus to say. It's actually for your advantage that I go so that this can take place. In a, like an English transliteration, we would call it the paraclete. Say paraclete. Paraclete, not parakeet. John is not saying, you know, I'm going to send you the parakeet. Not a pair of cleats. Okay. But the paraclete. Okay. Um, so this idea of, of this role of the Holy Spirit in John as the paraclete is really, really a big deal. He uses it not only for the Holy Spirit, but guess what? He uses this word for Jesus. In 1 John, uh, John writes, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate, parakletos with the Father, Jesus Christ, the Righteous One. This is, I don't know if you get like the little goosebumpies, but this is a big deal. John is telling us both the Holy Spirit and Jesus are paracletes. They are one and the same. 
the idea of paraclete in John, and you really have to kind of do a full, this would be a fun study to walk through, but it, it applies to the Spirit of God, and I don't know how much you think about this in the Trinity, but it's the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, who has undergone suffering. It's the Holy Spirit who went through suffering with Christ, the crucifixion. It is the Spirit who you know, it's not only the Son that experienced the crucifixion, so did the Father and the Spirit. And this is largely lost in our culture. This is where you get these weird ideas of divine child abuse. I could never worship a God who, you know, sacrifices their son and tortures their son for someone else. They're the same. That's not a biblical, that's not biblical. You don't have a father disconnected from the son pulling the train lever to sacrifice the son for the dumb people on the train. You have the Father himself with the Spirit and the Son going through suffering in the crucifixion. So the paraclete experienced this, also experienced the resurrection of Christ. And so the paraclete in John, both Jesus and the Holy Spirit can be viewed as the wounded and resurrected one who knows the depth of our human suffering and grief and also the exhilarating joy of the resurrection. Andrew Sung Park, a theologian who I disagree with at least 60% of his stuff, said this. The dream of Emmanuel in Isaiah becomes permanently realized as this paraclete will be with us forever. We rightly frame Isaiah's Emmanuel always about the Messiah, which is good, true, but we leave out the Spirit. The Spirit also, the realization and fulfillment of Isaiah 7.14 is realized in us and in the church as the paraclete is given. What Jesus accomplished opened the way for this to happen in a new, fresh deal. A note on the nature of God, Steve has rightly said, God does not change. Who God is, the character of God, the nature of God does not change. And yet... How God engages with creation in space-time, that obviously moves forward because the gift of the paraclete in this way is something that hadn't happened before. So God's interaction with his creation and with his people is moving. It's heading somewhere. It will culminate in something that God has planned. We are not just on an endless loop. It's developing. It's going somewhere. We read this this morning. Eh, my format got messed up. If you love me, keep my commands. And what? I will ask the Father and he will give you parakletos, another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. This is really fascinating stuff that John's writing. The one being sent is another, not a different. John, I will get, it's not the other, I will send you, I'm going to send you a different, I'm going, to send, I'm going to send you this phrasing, another advocate, another paraclete is one in the same. I'm going to send you another advocate. He will live with you and be in you, the realization of the promise of God. When the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, He's going to testify about me. He's going to point to Jesus. The Spirit points to Christ. Some of the phrasing here, um, the Holy Spirit, another paraclete, 
Uh, we have the Spirit of God in Paul. We have the Spirit of Christ. We have the Spirit of the Son, the Spirit of Jesus, the Spirit of truth. These are all names and phrases for the Holy Spirit in Scripture. I think it's good to remind ourselves as we read and study and navigate. This is the way that the authors of Scripture and those who knew Jesus phrased um, their interactions. John loves, of course, the phrase paraclete uh, as well. So the roles, we've said several of them in the service this morning. The paraclete, several roles in the New Testament. One called alongside to help. That's literally the word, parakaline, parakaleo. It means to the side of and to call. If you put them together, it's one who's called alongside to help, right? So just the etymology of the word. This, uh, in the writings of John, it's like a defense lawyer. If you needed a lawyer, if you needed an advocate, this is what... Uh, we're talking about the paraclete testifies on behalf of Jesus. Don't worry about what you need to say when you're witnessing to your friend. You're not going to get it all figured out. Well, I would. Well, um, I would invite my neighbor to something with church, or I would talk to them about faith, or I would share the story about them. But I'm worried that I don't have it all figured out. You know what that is saying? Because I've said that. I'm worried I won't be in control. And that's what it means, right? If we're honest, I'm worried they'll see I'm fragmented and broken. I'm worried that I'll stumble and my words won't be very articulate. I'm worried they'll ask me a question I don't have. I'm worried, don't worry, don't worry. If you genuinely belong to Christ, that might be a fear too. You start witnessing and realize you need to accept Christ. Um, I witnessed to myself. <laughs> don't worry about having it all sorted out. Step out, take a risk. We engage in those, those things and we trust that the Spirit will work. So he is advocate, he is defender. Uh, parakletos means to intercede and treat, appeal to. So he's an intercessor, he's a mediator, he's a spokesperson. The paraclete speaks through his disciples in defense of an absent Jesus. And in that context, the paraclete is helper and friend. As helper and friend, the paraclete follows Jesus, is linked to Jesus, represents Jesus, points to Jesus, is dependent on Jesus. The concept of paraclete signifies comfort, so it's implied that he is comforter and counselor. It's used to describe encouragement and exhortation, which is embedded in the preaching of the apostles. And the paraclete teaches the believers everything they need to know about Jesus, and it reminds him of all of his instruction and teachings. The resurrected Jesus does not rest, but continues his work of liberation and healing through the paraclete, so he is also healer. That's odd. Um, what do you need from the paraclete today? Right? So we started, uh, my question at the beginning was, when was a time when you undoubtedly uh, have seen the Spirit of God at work in or around you? And we land here, what do we need, what do you need from the paraclete today? What is it, which part of those roles of the paraclete would be most needed for you today? And we need them all at different times, but we need them in different ways. Paul writes in Romans 8, in the same way, 
great chapter on the spirit, life in the spirit, end of, towards the end of the chapter. In the same way, the spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the spirit because the spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. That Man, if that's not an internal thing that the Father who knows our hearts has sent the other paraclete to do this deep, deep work uh, in us, to guide us, to show us the things we need to receive from him. Man, this is, wow. Again, uh, last thing from this theologian. The way God comforts us is the way of the Holy Spirit undergoes suffering within us. Consoling is an attribute and work of the paraclete, the crucified one in our suffering. The paraclete knows the depths of the wounds of the afflicted, and some wounds within us are too deep to detect. Most of us are not fully aware of the wounds to our own souls. And this is the work, part of the work of the Holy Spirit is to point us to Jesus. Man, I, this is fun. Point us to Jesus and to help uncover and lead us as the spirit of truth towards the Father. Welcoming, this is what Jesus opened up. He's like, come on in. You're now included and invited into the life of the Trinity. Father, Son, and Spirit, I've opened the way for you. And when you do that, what do you do? You start walking toward Jesus, who's what? The most whole, the most healthy, the most integrated human who's ever lived. Fully divine, fully human, and he wants us to experience that, all that he has to give. So what do we need today out of these things? Comforter, advocate, defender, helper, teacher, missing an R, counselor, spokesperson, friend, mediator, encourager, healer, intercessor. What, you know, the spirit searches for us. Even if you say, well, I don't know, don't worry. The spirit knows. With groans, the Spirit can intercede for us even when we can't detect that stuff. That's his invitation to us. What a great gift we have from Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for the gift of the other paraclete, your Holy Spirit. Lord, all the work and roles that um, you can play for us, within us, around us, we do submit ourselves to your authority. Those of us who have committed our lives to you, we do earnestly say, come Holy Spirit, in whatever role and whatever work we need most, help us when those intersect and it bumps up against our default settings of control and safety uh, and selfishness. Lord, help us to uh, joyfully be able to bow before you, even when we're scared and even when we don't understand it, in order to serve you and receive the good gifts that you have for us from your spirit. In Christ's name, amen.